Aloha and welcome to the Android Central podcast. My name is Shruti Shaker. I am the managing editor of Android Central and I'm speaking today all the way from Maui, Hawaii because I have been so lucky enough to attend the Snapdragon Qualcomm Summit and today's podcast episode is going to be a very special one. But before we get to that, let me get my very favorite person, Nick Sutrick, <laughs> to get on the call. Hi, Nick. <laughs> Hey. How are you? Great. I've, I've, I've been on vacation and uh, I mean, you're sort of on vacation, but not really. <laughs> not really. I'm still working, really. but I'm making you work. I'm really sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, because today's a special episode, I want to right away introduce uh, my guest. His name is Alex Katuzian, and he is a very important executive <laughs> at Qualcomm. Would you like to introduce yourself, Alex? Sure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I am Alex Katuzian, Senior VP and GM of the Mobile Compute and XR and Wearables Business Unit at Qualcomm. Can you try saying that? 10 times really, really fast. The way I do it is I just say MCX. I'm the the GM of the MCX business. Excellent. So we obviously are really excited to have you speak to us today because, you know, at Android Central, we talk about a lot of consumer products and uh, smart home devices. Uh, You know, obviously, uh, (laughs) Nick speaks a lot and writes a lot about uh, AR devices, VR devices. And so uh, there's there's a lot to talk about today. And obviously, during the summit, two very big announcements, Mm -hmm. uh, well, three big announcements were made uh, specifically with mobile, uh, with XR, AR, and then with compute. So we obviously wanted to talk to you about that and get some some questions answered. Sure. Are you mm. ready to be grilled? Fully, yes. Let's do it. <laughs> Nick, do you want to start off by asking something about the mobile uh, mobile stuff? I know that we had a couple of questions specifically with respect to uh, mobile, and I know you wanted to know about competition and stuff. Do you want to start off and, and ask Alex a question? Uh, sure, yeah. So um, we, we've seen, I guess, a bit of increased competition in some of the spaces, right? You have um, MediaTek kind of coming in on both the XR and the mobile side um, with a couple of recent announcements. Um, you have the their mobile chipset, right? Their, their newest Dimensities. And then also um, there was kind of a surprise announcement with the PSVR 2. I don't think any of us knew that Sony was working with MediaTek on that front. So interesting to see more competition in that space and just sort of wondering how Qualcomm is uh, working with other partners, given that we're seeing increased competition there and and just how the platforms are evolving? Yeah, no problem. Those are all good questions. Let me just start with mobile. Having uh, the Dimensity 9200 being announced, uh, we always feel that, you know, our competition always formidable companies. Uh, but it takes not just stuffing technology or performance into a chip, to bring it to the premium tier. It's really about experiences. And everything that we've done in the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 has been planned for best user experiences across all of the functions that we have. You know, I can start, for example, I'll give you a brief. Even the CPU configuration that we have in that device is specially done to make sure that 32-bit apps can perform very well and 64-bit apps can perform really well. It's not, it's legacy apps that we have to support and future apps that are coming. 
Second, uh, we looked at the system solution to see, is it necessary for us to have four small cores or four big cores? And it turned out most applications that we're going into have a better use case, better power, and better user experience with those four big cores. And then there's a lot of offload that happens from gaming, um, from the GPU to CPU configurations. Those CPU configurations are specially designed to make sure the gaming experience as well. Then you go to, to camera. The camera use cases are always been our biggest strength. Um, outside of making a complete SOC, the camera stands out the most. People buy phones because of the camera quality. And our support of AI plus camera makes it second to none in the market. If you look at top DXO benchmark, uh, measurements, eight out of 10 phones are all Qualcomm based. So we have a very, very strong legacy in camera use cases and blending in AI makes a big, big difference. Um, if I go to graphics and gaming, we both introduce ray tracing capability in our graphics solutions. However, before the chip is out with OEMs, we've introduced two game engines, including Unreal, Unreal Engine 5, that makes extreme use of realistic faces on game characters to make it the game experience much more realistic. We've ported and optimized to multiple game engines and two games are already optimized on top of our solution. Plus the elite gaming following that we have makes the, makes the solution much, much more robust than just having ray tracing stuffed into the chip. If you go to AI, you take, take a look at the functions that AI affect across all, all of the cores that are in the, in the chip. It's unmatched again especially with introduction of integer four support, which allows us to have a much lower power dissipation with the same accuracy. So again, the user experience becomes better. Uh, so if we move down to video and lossless audio through Bluetooth and security capabilities that we bring to, to, to the ecosystem, it sets us apart, not just from a technology perspective, but a user experience becomes much, much more robust. So the trust in Qualcomm to bringing a solution like that has always been the case where we win out over our competition. The OEMs realize it, the OS vendors realize it, and the developer community realizes it. And so that's what sets apart a premium tier from just technology being stuffed into a chip. I wanted to ask you something because you were speaking specifically on cameras and I was speaking to some of the executives yesterday about artificial intelligence and how Qualcomm uses AI to really perfect its uh, camera quality on phones. And I'm really wondering if you can kind of talk to the average user. A lot of people who listen to the Android Central podcast and read the Android Central page are, you know, uh, if you will, uh, really big um and uh, people who are knowledgeable in the Android space. However, we also do write about articles that are catering to the average consumer. Mm -hmm. The average consumer doesn't necessarily know all of the details about AI and all these really cool functionalities and stuff. So when you are coming up with these new um, chips that offer amazing capabilities for phones, specifically on cameras, how do you you know, um, bring that value to an average user? How do you help them understand the importance of this and, and make them realize that this is what's helping their phone yeah, you know, perform? You just have to translate 
technology into use cases that they can understand. Um, many people don't have the technical depth or they're not in the business to understand what technology we put in and how it affects their use cases. But if you translate it, it becomes easier. For example, you can take great looking pictures at night when you weren't able to do so. So the light lighting condition, people understand. It's like lights low, my picture comes out bad and pixelated. Mm -hmm. Now it comes out clear, fresh with enough light so that they can really use those night pictures and, you know, share with their friends and family and things like that. Second is capturing your moments. If I have to adjust the camera and put it in a certain mode and things like that, I lose it. So these cameras are now designed to capture three or four different stages. Before, before the camera even is ready to take a picture in the preview mode, it's capturing wide angle, zoomed in, and regular. And it starts taking pictures before you actually press the button in preview mode. And then when you capture it, it compares and contracts all the frames that it captured. It gives you the best two or three. So you, you don't have to think about it, but you just get the best pictures. If sunlight is saturating a camera, compensates for it. If you need to recognize an image in the background or the foreground, it does that for you. If you need to enhance the color quality of the, of the picture, you will have a, um, an application in the camera where you can zoom back and forth and have different colors applied to the face, to the sky, to the color of a flower, for example. So it does all of those things for you. And it's a very, very easy user interface for a consumer to use that. So people don't realize these are all AI-based capabilities. So the camera recognizes what's in the background. Do you want it blurred or not? Do you want the sky to be bluer? Do you want the face to have more color? You want the foreground flowers to have a different shade capability. And the quality comes out super just with an easy dial. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we make it easy for people to understand. Yeah, because it can be confusing sometimes. Oh, yeah. Especially, yeah, absolutely. you know, even just hearing you speak about it uh, at, or hearing, hearing the executive speak about it at, at a keynote can be very overwhelming. So tr trying to... Um, make that easy for someone to understand is, is we have, we always have a rule. We don't put a function in the chip before we can explain it to a consumer and they can see the use case being useful. Mm -hmm. So we always work backwards from there. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I always think technology is fantastic. The problem is people need to understand what it buys them. Mm -hmm. And so we we kind of specialize in making sure that people understand that and our OEM partners understand it so they can explain it to their cus customers as well. I want to also address Nick's, Nick's question. You have to realize that that headset that Sony's using, all of the computing and rendering happens in the console and then it just gets streamed to the device. And so the, the chip that's in that headset, all it has to do is display it on the screen. So it's a very simple chip. If you comp compare that to our XR2 or AR that we're going to announce or talk about today, completely different computing schemes. Um, so it's a very simple chip in a headset. And yes, you know, MediaTek can claim I'm in, I'm in the VR headset from Sony, but all of the computation and rendering is actually happening inside the console. And then that data is being streamed to a simpler device to get it displayed. 
when we saw the Quest 2 launch, right, um, the XR2, it was the first device of the XR2, and that was based off of a significantly newer chipset than the 835 that powered the original Quest. Um, we saw a lot of huge bumps with that. I, I almost feel like the AI processing side of things was probably the greatest gain in you know, maybe processing percentages and that sort of thing, right? Because with AI, we, we can have a lot of these interesting uh, features in games where you can almost create frames and do a lot of other AI interpolation so you don't require as much raw power. Whereas, you know, sort of older console and CPU design was almost always based on how many polygons can we push? How, you know, how big can the textures be? Stuff like that. Nowadays, it's more important to have those AI features pushing things like, you know, 4K gaming at 120 frames a second, um, VR gaming um, at high frame rate. Uh, do you think that we'll see a similar kind of jump with the next generation of XR2 chipsets? Um, in that they'll be based on those newer chipsets and have newer AI features that will, you know, be impressive. Um, or, or is Qualcomm going to be working sort of a different angle for that? No, you're absolutely correct. Um, we, we see um, the XR market versus the mobile market is actually trending different. So we have to actually make parts specific for that market. Even though we're using the same tech, one technology roadmap, and we're scaling cores into those into those devices. They've become the functionality has become specific enough for us to concentrate on making chips for that market. Um, so XR2 was a big jump. The next generation is also going to be a big jump. If you if you think about it, XR applications are less CPU intensive, but much more AI camera and graphics intensive and sensor incentive. So then it, what it means is. You have to use a lot of AI to track the body and figure out where you are, uh, what the terrain looks like, what you're overlaying on top of what is already available in the real world. And then you have to render that in such a way that you have, you know, two, 2K or 4K screens right in front of your eyes. And so the time, uh, from photon to rendering has to be small enough so you don't get sick. And so. That is critical in terms of graphics performance in a headset. And then from a camera perspective, it's tracking you, it's tracking your head, it's tracking outside, tracking your hands, tracking your eyes. So the camera capability in and out of the device is super important. And so sensing also, sensing where your hands are, what your movements look like, um, that becomes critical in XR applications. So CPU less intensive, but camera, AI, graphics, and sensors much more important. Nick, before we can continue, I'd like to take a really quick break. So let's do that and stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back. You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy. But choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I like to do research on my sponsors, and I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in. I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. 
Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers. But ExpressVPN does not do this. They even developed a technology, trusted server, that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. So protect yourself with the VPN that I use and trust. Use my link, expressvpn.com slash Android today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash Android. Visit expressvpn.com slash Android to learn more. I know you have so many more questions, Nick, about <laughs> XR. <laughs> Do you want to continue? Sure. Um, okay. So with the Quest Pro, I guess this is sort of the pattern right now, right, with, with Meta and the Quest sort of launching the next generation of chipsets. We saw the XR2 Plus, forgive me if I forgot the right name, <laughs> um, it launched uh, sort of a different design, right, where instead of stacking things vertically, things are pushed uh, more horizontally so that heat can be dissipated better and you can effectively use the same chipset but get way better performance out of it for this space. Um, do you think we'll see similar design changes like that with maybe the next generation either of Meta headsets or another company? Like, I, I don't know if you've seen anything else similar to that um, in the space. Well, these, these designs uh, are evolving as we speak because the market's evolving as we speak. So it's not a settled down, uh, you know, legacy type of a market like PC. Right. So innovation is constantly happening from the balancing the headset on your head, the weight and how it's distributed, uh, even splitting the processing from the back to the front, where the cameras are placed, where the battery is placed, you will constantly see improvements in that. And, you know, there are designs coming out that are more foldable, uh, more portable. Um, you know, there's, there's multiple different innovations happening from in many different companies, and we're engaged with them all. You know, we're providing enough flexibility to partition our solutions in such a way that allows the more innovation of the design to continue. For example, in AR, it's so power sensitive that we didn't have one big processor doing everything. We split it into two and the connectivity is separated out into even a third chip. I'm wondering, actually, because I know you, you know, you've been talking about uh, your partnership with Meta. Um, is there a possibility for other partnerships with other gaming companies, maybe Ab Nintendo? Absolutely. We're, we are going after the market to become more horizontal. Mm -hmm. The more vertical the market is, the less choice consumers will have. And so we're trying to apply our solutions across the board, uh, not only in the U.S., but the China horizontal market is also very important for us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is something that I think a lot of people talk about as well, which is the value that the metaverse has. Um, and I think there's still a little uncertainty around that. You know, a lot of investors, a lot of uh, people are just kind of still questioning, like, what is the metaverse? What, where's the value? And I know a lot of it has to do with gaming, but there's also this opportunity to have it as a workplace. Do you see there being success with the metaverse? Do you think that this is a place where um, Qualcomm really sees value in? Absolutely. It's one of our growth businesses and we're diverting resources to make it stronger and stronger. Uh, absolutely believe in the enterprise-based applications in medical, in training, in outdoor work 
workers actually fixing things with uh, maps of uh, devices and places coming live to them. Um, fitness is big. Uh, collaboration along with uh, creators is big. Um, all of these applications, we believe, are going to become much more mainstream for XR, both AR and VR. I remember first when we were moving from uh, feature phones to smartphones, everyone's like, Okay, what is this keyboard here? How do I tap on the screen? Yeah. Why do I have to have a larger screen? I want to carry it in my pocket. Try carrying a feature phone today. See how you, you will never <laughs> be able to function. And so I think we have a long-term bet on XR. And we think over the next decade, that trend will become stronger and stronger. And people's behavior will change as they're interfacing into the world. I think that's going to be the headline or the title of this podcast. Uh, we, we have a long-term bet on XR. I yes. think that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that works. Um, and, and actually, um, I guess maybe more in the short term, um, I was kind of wondering if Qualcomm was working to create a more like standards-based set of tools for developers. Um, so we've seen things like OpenXR, right, where uh, this this helps create better standards for people to, uh, we'll just say, make a game. They use the OpenXR tools, and then they can bring that to other XR platforms versus just developing for Quest 2 or just developing for Pico. Um, and I've also seen a lot of developers sort of requesting the, these features, especially when it comes to um, input and a lot of other just basic things around VR where this stuff hasn't been developed yet and we don't see the the tools that you know maybe developing on the xbox or the playstation or something like that has um are you aware of qualcomm helping to develop some of these standards like input standards and movement standards and things like that or are you more focused on a sort of the hardware side of things no one of the biggest initiatives we have in our xr business is spaces uh, so that's a platform that takes multiple perception algorithms and makes it available in SDKs and APIs to multiple developers. Uh, we have, I, I, I'm, I may be miscoding this number, but I think we have about 2,500 active developers with spaces. If, if you think about it, the perception algorithms are very, very important. We're not talking about having OS level or APIs into a developer community. What we're saying is perception algorithms such as head tracking, hand tracking, um, a 3D mapping of a room, uh, six DOF, those types of perceptions become so important in XR that they have to have the feedback from the developer community to feed it back into the hardware. So we can harden those algorithms in silicon for the best performance, but lowest power. And that's critical for these types of headsets because they have to last a long time. So Spaces is a platform for the XR development community to feed back to us how are they going to use these perceptions in their applications. And we're trying to make that a standard across handsets, the headset, even PC to try to get um, that platform to be used in those other devices to help XR supplement other smart devices that you carry with you. So for example, AR glasses, 
easily can be supplemented on a handset or a PC. Let's say, for example, you, you're playing a game and uh, you're in a 3D game environment on a handset. I can easily put the map of the racetrack on top of what you're seeing through your glasses and you have a much better user experiences versus just looking at the handset itself. Let's say you're using a PC. We can project 340-inch screens uh, off of the Lenovo AR headset so that you can use it practically anywhere. You don't have to carry large screens with you, anything like that. So it's one of the only developed platforms that's becoming more standard in the XR community and across other devices that would supplement XR. I want to take a really quick break again, and uh, we have just a couple more questions, and I know that you are so busy. So please hang tight. We'll be right back, and we'll ask a couple more questions, and then the podcast is over, guys. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? Most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions, when the actual cost is probably closer to $200, if not more. That's right. You could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month on subscriptions you don't even know about. That's why there's this app I love using that takes care of that for me. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash ACP. Seriously, it could save you hundreds of dollars per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash ACP. Okay, I want to pivot back to mobile uh, just really quickly before, you know, we, we, we close off a little bit. Sure. Um, one of the things that we saw basically were huge gains from SD8G1 to SD8G1 Plus just by switching from Samsung to TSMC. Some people felt this was a little bit of a blunder by Qualcomm on the original chip. We would love to know more about how the manufacturing process has determined and how it's how it is determined rather excuse me and if Qualcomm sees moving between processes is a positive or a negative thing very good question so we usually plan out our premium tier chips as three years before they actually come out and we start working with our foundry partners around that time to determine what's the best process technology for the device that we want three years out and we you know work with them in such a manner that we send our libraries over, we do test chips, we, we design some memory configurations with them and figure out what the yields are gonna be as we ramp the product up three years from that time. So it, there's a ton of work that goes behind choosing a process technology. And usually we're right on the money. We went through an unprecedented time where supply was in short, was mm -hmm. very short. And so, the reason why we switched from one foundry to another is we couldn't get enough supply. And when we switched over, um, it, it caused us to have more supply in our hands. But at the same time, at the same time, the trade-off in some of the performance capabilities and power capabilities were better. Uh, there's different strategies at foundries. Some foundries, when I, they go to leading edge nodes, they take the risk of getting that leading edge node into the market and attracting customers to that leading edge node. And, and they, they have a calculated risk that they can get their yields to a certain point to ramp up with, with these customers. 
other foundries, they introduce a technology node and they optimize it over time. It just so happened to be that when we did the Gen 1, uh, it was in the Samsung node. And over a period of time, the su supply shortage affected it enough so that we couldn't get enough supply. So we switched over to TSMC and we benefited from the fact that they've optimized the node. Not to say that we don't trust Samsung as a foundry partner, but it just the circumstances were that way. Yeah, right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Nick, did you have another question, like just to wrap up? I know I was going to make a comment earlier when he was talking about backwards compatibility, sort of highlighting the importance of that, where we saw Intel uh, develop a new graphics card recently that they released and performance was fantastic for newer stuff, but not very good at all for older stuff. <clears throat> and I think that's kind of a feature that people tend to not realize, I guess, when new products are being developed, just how important it is to ensure they still work for older ones, um, for, especially when we're talking about software. And I just thought that was interesting that you brought that up specifically when I guess all this is going on with Intel, maybe not even relating to Intel, but having this real world example of why this is important, right? It's super important. And we've learned our lesson when we didn't have backwards compatibility and we, we're not going to make that mistake again. And it's not only applicable in the handset, but it's also applicable in the PC space. We're coming in with a disruptive solution on the PC space. We need to make sure it's backwards compatible to most apps. We probably won't get a hundred percent of the apps, but our, for example, our go to market partners, such as Microsoft and the PC OEMs are helping us to have backwards compatibility with software. And we're working with different software vendors to make sure they can run on our solution and platform with their older software products. Right. Um, I want to wrap this up, but what I want to do, which I always end with every podcast is I like to ask, obviously the people on the podcast talking, the thing that made you the most happy this past week. So because you are our guest, Alex, I would love for you to go first. What made you happy this past week? And try to not make it work related if you can. <laughs> I have the perfect, I have the perfect thing to tell you. So, you know, this job is high stress and you're constantly busy and you're, you're dealing with problem after problem. And we kind of call ourselves uh, like Roman gladiators. We earn the <laughs> privilege to fight again. You know, so it doesn't mean you're not going to die, but you just have the privilege to fight again. So you're under a lot of stress. But when we landed in Maui and I got off the plane from the plane to the baggage claim, I think my blood pressure came down a few points. I was super <laughs> relaxed. And the, maybe it's the weather or the people or something. I just looked around. I'm like, man, I'm really feeling good <laughs> and happy. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Nick, what made you happy this past week? I mean, it's sort of on a similar note, right? Like I, I have been. Yeah, you're on, you're on, you're on vacation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've been on vacation and I've been seeing family. Um, my wife's aunt just got married. So we went to a great wedding and that, so that's my happy thing, right? Is, was the, the wedding. We came in, we literally yeah. drove through a hurricane coming down to Florida. Their wedding was two days later and it was like perfectly sunny outside. The weather could not have been better. The next day it rained the entire day. <laughs> so like it was perfectly threaded right in the middle of those things. And it was just like, man, that was great. I love it. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to I'm going to break my own rule and I'm going to say the thing that made me happy is um actually coming to Maui. I mean, uh, I've never been here and this place is so beautiful and yeah, like you said Alex, I mean, there's just something in the air. It's the people, the culture, everyone is just so welcoming. And the most amazing part about this trip is that I have been able to meet a lot of people that I have connected over, you know, for many months and years on Twitter. And I finally get to meet them in real life for the first yeah. time. And I think that's sort of the best part about these trips where you get to really just connect with people. And I, so, I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you. I've been to this hotel like 15 times. <laughs> Seriously. And my favorite is like sitting out by the beach and watching the sunset. It's just insane. It just completely relaxes. Oh, yeah. Well, on that note, wherever you're listening to us, Android Central podcast listeners, thank you so much for taking the time, whether it's the morning, afternoon or night. We truly, truly appreciate it. And thank you for listening to this special episode. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you. See ya.